I have always thought of myself as kind of like a public servant. I love our community. I want to help build it so that it's a thriving place. I want to help support people in it. I just, I love being a part of it and in it. Bonjour, Anine. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is at its core a place for Native folks to tell their story. Every week we have awesome conversations with great guests from all over Minnesota. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers on finding purpose in our lives. And another day, Cole, another day to amplify Native voices. Yeah. How are you doing, Cole? I'm doing great, um, but also feeling a little bit lost because two big fantasy shows have ended, and I don't know where to get my fantasy fix. We were spoiled there for a little bit. Seriously, I had a whole weekly, like, schedule. Yeah, and I know that you were conflicted because you had a concert recently, and it was showing the same time as the House of Dragons season finale. So you're feeling some type of way about it. That was a struggle. By the way, that concert <laughs> rocked. Yeah, good job. Um, oh, I don't know if you want to give the listeners just a quick summary of what happened, but it was a great, great time. Yeah. The energy was great. So thanks. So I sing with Warbonnet, northern Minnesota, awesome musicians, kind of yeah. getting together and jamming out. Uh, and we played at the Ordway in St. Paul, and there were other great bands who also played. Yeah, it's just so fun to be able to get out and do music again mm-hmm. after years of the old c- Corona virus mm-hmm. put a damper on it. But it was very energizing, I gotta yeah. say. Yeah. But on to today, I'm very excited to speak with our guest today. Uh, it's Elizabeth Day. Uh, Elizabeth, who is Ojibwe was born on the Leech Lake Reservation and was raised in the Twin Cities area. She's the Community Engagement Programs Manager at the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis. And at NACD, she's involved in both the Four Sisters Farmers Market and Make Voting a Tradition. Elizabeth is also a filmmaker who creates films with traditional Ojibwe storytelling while also using contemporary filmmaking techniques. So clearly she's got, you know, these different passions going around, and I can't wait to ask her about, you know, all of that. Boujou, Elizabeth. Boujou, Nindinawe, Maganiduk. Hello, my name is Elizabeth Day. I'm from the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, where I was born. And then um, we moved to the Twin Cities area, and I grew up in the Lauderdale neighborhood, which is where I am talking to you from now. I moved back to, to Lauderdale, um, the homelands of the Dakota people. Um, I work at... NACDI, Native American Community Development Institute, as the Community Engagement Projects uh, Programs Manager. I always get get different every time. Two of my uh, tracks of work there is uh, Healthy Food Access. So we have the Four Sisters umbrella, which includes the uh, farm and the farmer's market um, that runs through the, the summer season. And then also um, I oversee a a program called Make Voting a Tradition, and that's a year-long, year-round civic engagement voter mobilization effort. Um, And I also am a filmmaker. (laughs) Lots of of irons and lots of fires. 
Yeah, lots of stuff going on, um, and we definitely want to get into all of that. But uh, you know, before we do that, you know, just how are you doing? How is your family doing? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm good, and my family's good. I have a seven year old son. His name is Rocky, and he's the light of my life. Yeah, big second grader now. I'm getting all pumped for Halloween and <laughs> and all that stuff. So. Oh yes, Halloween for a second grader is a big deal, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I remember, I don't know, just I, those were the best costumes because I actually, you know, kind of cared about it and all that stuff. <laughs> I remember there was just a mummy costume where everything was unraveling. Anyways, I, I'm going on a tangent, but that's great. That's great. No, no, no. This is important, Cole, because I want to know <laughs> what is Rocky going to be for Halloween? Uh, yeah. Top Gun was a really big movie. Oh, yeah. We've seen it several times. So he's going to be a fighter pilot. Cool. um, Yeah, he already has the outfit. Um, It was the most important aspect of the outfit is that it had to have a mask that had like a tube running out of it. Oh, yes. Going for Mm -hmm. real authentic. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, my nine-year-old son is going as a plague doctor. Oh. Um, He's a little... uh, Quirky. <laughs> like the full body zip up. He has the whole black trench. Is that with the cloak, nose thing? The nose. Oh, yes. The top hat. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. So <laughs> sounds like he might get along with Rocky too. <laughs> awesome. So we always like to kind of start out with seeing what's on the top of our guests' minds. So, Elizabeth, is there anything that's on the top of your mind, I know it is you know, voting season, but I won't I won't prep you for that. But, you know, is there anything that's kind of uh, coming to the surface? Yes. Defending ICWA. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear um, the Holland versus Brackeen case in early November. Actually, the day after Election Day, November 9th. And um, it's a really big deal, this case, because... The Supreme Court will determine if the Indian Child Welfare Act is a race-based law or is a political or is it a political distinction? And if they say it's a race-based law, then that will set the precedent that could start eroding our tribal sovereignty. We could they could start going after fishing rights, hunting rights, all these, all these different treaty rights. So um, that's what's kind of at the forefront of my mind these days. ICWA, defending ICWA, and then also, because we got to celebrate our successes, right? All this hard work, and it seems like you're constantly pushing and advocating, and it's exhausting, but stopping and looking back to see, like, what we've accomplished. One awesome thing is um, redistricting in northern Minnesota, and we were able to partner with the Northwest Indian Community Development Institute, or yeah, CDC, Community Development Institute. And they helped us have um, mapping sessions and they invited youth to help us um, create maps of like, what is, what's, what are important areas? And they were like, don't forget about over here and over there. And the map that these teens created is the map that was used in legislation that was used to redistrict. And now for the first time, Red Lake, Leech Lake, and part of White Earth are all in the same Senate district. Because the kids created this map that went through. So we have collective voting power in northern Minnesota for the first time. 
What do you think will come out of that? I'm really hopeful for the future and what kind of power we can create in Northern Minnesota when when we use our voices together. I always think of um, Judith LeBlanc from Native Organizing Alliance when she says, you know, voting is not the answer. Voting is a flex of our power. And when we flex our power together, that's when we can create this collective power and this strength together. And that's when we can start, you know, looking at the disparities that happen, the inequities that happen, and we can start to like bring attention and dissolve some of these inequities. And I also think of our Secretary of State too. He recently on a meeting said, you know, giving up your vote, not voting, that's not a protest. It's um, an act of submission. Like, don't give up your vote. It's not an act. Of, it's not a protest. So um, those two things together, I'm like, yeah, use your use your vote to flex your power. And when we all flex our power together, it creates strength. Yeah, that's exciting because you know we're we're so used to being overlooked. You know, oh, you know, just like a small portion of the population. But when you can have multiple tribes come together in one district, that's pretty neat. It is. Minnesota is one of seven states that the Native population is large enough to influence a vote. And Native Organizing Alliance in 2020 created this seven-state strategy. And we have these national calls on, on Zoom. And... um we all kind of shared with each other, like what was working. Uh, and one of the really fun things that came out of that was, I think someone in Denver did it first, um, was a drive-through voter registration, uh, fry bread taco drive. So come <laughs> get a fry bread taco. And, you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And we're like, how do we organize and get together as community and be a part of community, but still safe? And it was... Um, drive-through fry bread taco voter registration drives. <laughs> and it started off all over the country. And it's um, so cool when you look at the map, the something else, right? The something else mm-hmm. map. It's um, it's re- the reservations that had the influence on the vote. And it was like, oh my God, fry bread saved democracy. <laughs> <laughs> we took this colonized food, and, you know, and made it into like delicious bread. And then we took that delicious bread and you're welcome, America. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Resourcefulness. (laughs) You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Elizabeth Day, Community Engagement Programs Manager at the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis, and she's also a filmmaker. So how does NACDES Make Voting a Tradition kind of play into all of that? Could you talk to us about that initiative and how it you know, began? Yeah, I believe that we're in our eighth year. It started before I um, joined NACDES, and um, Make Voting a Tradition was a voter mobilization effort in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area, but really around um, the East Phillips, Ventura Village area. So kind of really hyper-focused along the American Indian Cultural Corridor in Minneapolis. And then we heard from the community that if you really want to make voting a tradition, like you got to be here year-round. So it turned into a year-round civic education, civic engagement effort. Um, which includes 
candidate forums, um, elected discussions with elected officials, uh, organizing around policies such as Indigenous, like turning it from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, um, uh, the raise the wage effort, um, and now defending ICWA. So it touches a lot. And we really use an intergenerational approach. I mean, talk to the talk to families as like a whole, because we all know that, you know, we're in a matriarchal society and auntie or grandma or somebody's in charge. And if you can reach the head of the family, then we can start reaching the whole family. Yeah. Could you tell us, you know, some notable, you know, community engagements you've done uh, as part of the uh, Make Voting a Tradition initiative? One thing that I always like to highlight and talk about, it's one of my favorite stories, is when Standing Rock was happening, the um, sheriff of Hennepin County, he was sending Hennepin County sheriff officers to Standing Rock to fight against the water protectors. And that was also an election year. And there was a new sheriff elected because of that. Um, Because when that election was happening, people were saying, don't forget about Standing Rock. And David Hutchinson was um, an underdog in the election. And he won by the same number of registered Native voters in Minneapolis. That was a real moment of when our, your voice matters. And when we vote together, when we use our power together, real change can happen. That's one of my favorite favorite moments in Make Voting or Tradition is when our representation changed because of the Native vote. Overall, NACD, how did you get in, involved in NACD? Like what, what made you, you know, want to come aboard? Oh, I don't, you know... This is my third time I've worked at NAFTI. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, I started, first time was when I was 28. And um, then I got a Bush Fellowship for my filmmaking stuff. So I left and did the film thing for a bit. And then I came back on the art side, on the All My Relation art side in 2010. And then also left to go do... Um, filmmaking things. And then um, I had my son and I was like, oh, health insurance is probably a good idea if you're going to have a kid. And <laughs> so I was yeah, looking around I, and so NACTI, yeah, NACTI was hiring again. And, you know, it's a organization that I've always felt really at home with. And I have always thought like of myself as kind of like a public servant. I love our community and I want to help build it so that it's a thriving place. I want to help support people in it. I just, I love being a part of it and in it. So really it's like a selfish thing that, cause I just love being in the a Minneapolis American Indian community so much. And it gives me a reason to be in the uh, mix yeah. of everything. <laughs> it's so selfish to I, help the community. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because yes, it's selfish of me to want to do all this public service. So, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it's just like, now you have to talk to me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so you've mentioned that you're a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk about that, you know, that passion for film and just, you know, maybe some of the projects you've worked on? Yeah, I actually just got to go through a whole bunch of my old films. Allison Waka at the Hennepin County Library asked me to put together a little film 
thing for Indigenous Peoples Day. So I love making short films. I've made a lot of them. They're just really enjoyable to do. They're just such manageable projects. So I got to show two live action shorts. And then a fun thing that I did for a while was I worked with um, Hyde and Louise Erdrich in doing video poetry, which Louise coined the term pomios. (laughs) (laughs) Video poetry. We did that for a while. I did a couple animations, um, Ojibwe language animations uh, with Jonathan Thunder, who was the animator, and continued to work with Hyde as the director and producer on these um, animated shorts. And then I took a little bit of a break when I was pregnant and when my son was a baby and just really thinking about like, am I still going to be a filmmaker? Can I still do this? Like, how can I be a single mom? and have a career as in the arts? How do I like provide? And I kind of fell into producing because I can write grants and it was just like an easy way to stay connected in the arts. So I worked as a producer for a while. And um, now a current project that I'm working on is a feature length documentary with um, Jonathan Olszewski. Um, his his first film was Quest, which was a big success in the documentary world. And um, I came on to his project in 2019 as a producer. So John and I were emailing back and forth. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to take on another project. I had just come off, off of another one and I was just kind of tired of it. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to work with um, a non-Native person on a Native story. Um, so we talked a lot because Jonathan's a white guy. And I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. And we really talked about why is he telling this story? Um, you know, what? how are we holding space for Native people and key creative roles? And um, it was just was really great conversations. And I felt so comfortable with him um, that, you know, as we continue to talk, um, he made me a co-director of the film and um, it's been really good since. And now we are deep into the edit, finding what the storyline is. John has been filming this family, the Fiddlers on the Cheyenne Sioux River Tribe Reservation for 12 years. So it's like this family story, right? And and it's such a challenge as a filmmaker. Like if someone was filming me for 12 years, what would be the 86 minutes that they pulled and why? So that's kind of like this really strange thing to do. Can you talk a little bit about your storytelling style and what you bring to the project? Uh, When I was in film school, I was like, I am not going to make a movie about natives at all. That's what everyone expects me to do. I'm going to do action films and I'm going to blow stuff up. And that's my take. And it was hard and it was a struggle because that's not who I am. I couldn't tell the stories that weren't me because I was like, why is it so hard to do this? Like, I know I kept pushing and pushing at something that wasn't. Um, so finally I'm like, fine, I'll just write what's in my heart. And then everything started flowing oh. really easily. <sighs> so this is just a portrait of a family and it's finding kind of the beauty and the mundaneness of life. And even though like extraordinary things happen, it's still just life. And it's about, for me, this movie is about uh, representation, 
representation of a native family in like a real true, like authentic way. This is what life is on the reservation in Cheyenne River. You'll see crazy things like a horse dies at one point. And does that like mark the passing of time over the years as watching like this horse, you know, turn to bone? Um, Also, like people die and people are born and people come in, in and out of our lives. And it's complex, too, because, you know, underneath it all, there is this the history of indigenous people in the United States and it's complicated and there is trauma there, but there's also resilience and beauty. It's, it's, you know, multifaceted, like as all families are. And I think there is that commonality. Our main protagonist, his name is Delwyn. And so what does it mean to be a father and what does it mean to be a son and what does it mean to be a native father and a native son? So, but there's a lot of like universality in like just family stories and relationships with parents and children. Great. And sorry, this was uh, uh, Without Arrows? Yeah, working title, um, but it's called, right now it's called Without Arrows. I think Delwyn came up with the title, and what it means to him is that it is resistance without weapons. It's change without weapons. So he's like, we don't have the arrows, but we're going to do this. So that's where it came from. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Elizabeth Day, Community Engagement Programs Manager at the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis. She's also a filmmaker. Do you find that you have cultural influences then with your filmmaking and producing? Yeah, I love my family so much. My aunties and my uncles and my cousins. I come from a really big family um, my dad was seven out of 15 kids and they all love Whoa. each other. I know. So <laughs> we all get together as much as possible. And growing up, everyone would get together and just sit around and just tell story after story about like growing up or, you know, there were so many of them, but they're all so close. They're a really tight knit family. And to be able to tell a story and hold everyone captive. And the goal really was like, who can tell the funniest story? So learning, I just by listening to my aunts and uncles trying to crack each other up. That's the best way that I've ever learned how to be a storyteller. So it kind of came naturally, like just like wanting to do it. My aunts are some of the funniest women. And um, when you get them together, it's like, watch out. Cause like the roof will come off. Everyone's <laughs> laughing so hard. So uh, I think that, yeah, it was the way that I kind of learned and gravitated toward toward filmmaking and storytelling. What were some mentors along the way when it comes to like film uh, making or just people that you looked up to when you're, uh, you know, in the process mm-hmm. of that? Um, I'd say probably the biggest influence when it, it comes to that is her name is Barbara Ettinger, and she is this woman who helped start um, a summer camp that I went to when I was 13. And one of the classes that was offered was filmmaking. And I I didn't know at the time that she was also a documentary filmmaker. And fast forward a couple of years, um, she helped arrange a scholarship to a prep school in Massachusetts called Berkshire. And um, I I received one of the scholarships. So I went out to boarding school on the East Coast and over short vacations, 
I would stay with her in her upstate New York house and she was editing a film at the time. And so I got to see that I'm like, Oh, I didn't know anyone could do this. I thought you had to like be born in Hollywood or something. I didn't know that you, anyone can just make a movie. So it really opened up my eyes to that medium is available to people to do, and you don't have to be from LA. So just kind of watching her do it herself was probably the biggest influence on my career. I did have a question because I saw I saw a, a interview that you did on it was like the Taiwahe Foundation where you talked about grants and the importance of grants. This is just a deep dive on YouTube. Oh, I was like that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've you've had grants in, mm-hmm. throughout your your career. I know Leah's uh, gotten some grants. I I feel like I I should probably apply for some one of these days. But just you know, talk about grants. You know how it's been an important resource to you. Um, the process and why more people should, uh, you know, native folks should do this. That is so funny that you bring that up because my sister and I were just talking about the Tewahe grant like last week, and I haven't talked about that in a, a minute. And we were talking about it because we were thinking about young people. And my friend Bobby Wilson, um, I worked with him at um, the Endai Young Center. And we did street outreach together. And um, we got really got to know each other really well, became like really good friends. And we were talking about him and um, his career and his path. And it's, we we're talking about like what motivates someone to be successful, like who has drive and how do you get drive and stuff. So we were talking about Bobby and we're like, man, he really just had so much drive and built it up for himself. Like he got himself graduated from high school, you know, as a, as an adult. And he was this beautiful poet who wouldn't stop writing. And he wrote himself a Tawahe grant. So, and he got himself a laptop. And from that laptop came like other grants that he got. And he was just like building himself. And now he's like this huge writer for these super successful TV shows that are so important to all of our lives. And um, it starts off with a micro grant, right? Just asking, like, can you, you, you can see the value in me a little bit, right? And someone will say, yeah. And also thinking about our own relationship with money and when does, when does our relationship with money start? And as a kid, when are we aware of like class? When are we aware of like, they're different from what I, I am. And also like gender and all of that comes into play. And I'm still learning this as an adult that it's okay to ask for more. And I learned that from my co-director, John, who's a white cis male. And he'd be like, oh, they gave us a grant, but you know what? We're going to ask them for more. And I'm like, what? <sighs> you can do that? And he's like, yeah, write this email. <laughs> I'm like, Thanks, thank you so much for the money. Can can you actually give us more than what you said you would though? And they'd be like, sure. Thanks for asking. I'm really glad you did. I'm like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's it's complex because it goes into what do we know? What have we learned about money? And how do we function in that like philanthropic world? Do you feel enough self-worth that you feel like you can ask someone to say, like, do you see the value in what I'm doing? 
And it's okay if you say no. <laughs> well, thank you so much, yeah. Elizabeth. Chimiguich. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to Elizabeth Day, Community Engagement Programs Manager at the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis, and she's also a filmmaker. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Giggawabman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.